Well, good morning. Uh, can can you guys hear me okay? Uh, how about now? Okay. Very good. Well, greetings from the Socialist Republic of Canada. Um, it's really, uh, really good to be with you folks. Um, quite frankly, I'd rather be here than up there, but... Um, if you have your Bibles with you, please uh, turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 27. Now, I, I understand as an assembly, you folks have been making your way through the book of Acts. Um, and I understand you've just finished off at chapter 17. And uh, at least that's what Mike shared with me and. So I guess when he reached out to me asking if I'd fill in um, this Sunday, I was kind of torn. I actually had just preached on Acts 18 not too long ago, and a lot of that stuff was fresh in my mind. But I, uh, I was leaning more to Acts 27. This is actually something that the Lord uh, really encouraged me with several months ago at the outset of this uh, global pandemic, coronavirus, uh, pestilence, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then more and more through the week, I, I just felt that this is this is where where things would land this morning. Um, let, let's let's pray uh, again. Acts chapter twenty-seven, and let's let's just commit our time to to the Lord. Father, um, again, we we want to, oh Lord, we we want to praise you for who you are. Um, yeah, great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. Because of your mercies, we're not consumed. Uh, you've given us absolutely every reason to trust you, uh, irrespective of all that's happening around us. Um, Lord, troubles within, troubles without, and and yet not one single one of the things you've promised, the things you said, will will, will fail to come to pass. Your your promises are yea and amen. And, um, yeah, this morning, Lord, even though we're faithless, you are faithful still. You cannot deny yourself. And that gives me confidence this morning, even as we open the scriptures, um, Lord, that not, absolutely no one needs to hear from me. We, we all need to hear from you. And, uh, Lord, my prayer, um, I guess very selfishly for myself is that you would be with my mouth to teach me what to say. Uh, that you would give me utterance, you would deliver me from rambling, from empty rhetoric. Lord, just just lay down the track this morning. Uh, help us, be with us. May we have a real distinct sense of your presence. Uh, we want to know what the Spirit, your Spirit, has to say to the churches this morning. And Lord, I, I do pray for the blessing, the encouragement of your people. Uh, Lord, you'd enlarge our concept of who you are um, increase our appreciation for Christ, your Son, um, Lord, that he would uh, come through loud and clear this morning. Uh, no Josh, please, Lord. No no Josh, please. I just, just commit this time to you in the name and for the glory of your Son. Amen. Acts chapter 27. I was sitting in a Tim Hortons. I'm not sure if you've heard of Tim Hortons. I guess that's... Uh, Kind of the Canadian version of Dunkin' Donuts, even though I don't think uh, Dunkin' Donuts could uh, lift a candle to Tim Hortons. But anyways, um, uh, and this was in March. This is before everything kind of shut down up in, uh, at least in our neck of the woods. And um, there was a bit of anxiety, uh, if, if I were honest with you, um, you know, more from the standpoint of... Uh, my employment and so on, and what the economic implications would be with this uh, with this virus, and um, yeah, man, it was the Lord really spoke to me through this chapter, Acts twenty seven, and I just want to share some encouragement. I, I have very rarely shared the same message more than once. I, I I don't know. I believe in fresh manna from heaven or whatever you want to call it. Maybe that's super spiritual. I don't know, but. Um, this is something that I've, I've, it's basically a drum that everywhere I've been going, I've been beating this drum. I, I, I think this is something that the Lord wasn't just sharing with me, but wants all of his people to, to know. And if I could put a title on this, it would be encouragement in precedented times. 
You heard that right. Encouragement in precedented times. Not, not unprecedented. Um, that word unprecedented is being used a lot these days. And if we're going to look at the strict technical definition of that word unprecedented, uh, something that's never been done before, something that's never happened before, something that's never been seen before. And yet, if we look in the world around us, and what, what do we see? We see uh, a global pandemic, a pestilence that's covering the globe. Um, been there, done that. <laughs> I mean, just a brief look in history would show us there's been many occasions in history where we have had a global pandemic. We can talk about 1918, Spanish influenza, approximately 50 million people who died, over 600,000 here in the United States just at the end of the First World War. Um, a, a virus, a, a pandemic, it, this isn't unprecedented. We could talk about the Black Plague. We could talk more recently of swine flu. And I don't want to spend all the time talking about these things, but think about the political upheaval that we're seeing around us, this divided nation, these divided states, as as some have called it, uh, the economic uncertainty, a heightened hostility to Christianity that we see specifically in the West. Um, these things, can I submit to you this, the things that I've just listed, a lot of them was the atmosphere in which the early church was born. <laughs> um there is nothing new under the sun. Um, and here in Acts 27, the events that are being described here took place in roughly 59, 60 AD. And here we are at the last leg of Paul's journey um, in life, his, his short pilgrimage. This was roughly seven years before he was martyred, uh, presumably under Nero. Uh, this is kind of at the conclusion of his third missionary journey. Um, he's, he's, he's gone to Jerusalem uh, and he knew, he had in the back of his mind what was awaiting him, afflictions and bondage and so on. Many of the other details, I guess, were were, were kind of up in the air. Um, he had been accused by the Jews to the Roman authorities. And so he's gone from Jew Jerusalem and being escorted by basically Roman legion. He's been escorted to Caesarea and he's now there under the auspices of the governor Felix and then later Festus after him. In Acts 23.11, the Lord Jesus assures Paul that he would be a witness to him in Rome, that his final destination would not be Caesarea. Uh, later, we see in Acts 25.11 that Paul, in uh, the course of his discourse with the, the governor there, he appeals to Caesar. He exercises his right as a Roman citizen to appeal to the highest court in the empire, and that, of course, was the court of Caesar. And so now he is on the road to Rome. And when I say road, I don't mean that literally. It was actually a sea voyage that he would undertake here in Acts 27. Um, but again, when we think about the climate we're in here in the 21st century, um, oh, man, I mean, I don't want to spend time talking about the headlines, but... Um, here in, in 20, Acts 27, this would have been not long before a civil war that would take place in the Roman Empire. There'd be this Jewish revolt. Uh, later you would see what's called the Great Roman Fire that eventually was blamed on the Christians and what began a lot of the serious persecution we see in the first century AD. Lots of crazy stuff is happening at this time. It's a time of geopolitical flux. And arguably, we're in a very similar time here in, in our neck of the woods at this time in history as well. I just want to read a quote here, uh, again, on this idea of we're not in unprecedented times. This is taken from an early assembly periodical, again, towards the end of the First World War. Um, and I'm just going to read it in your hearing here. But it says this. This was a, a man by the name of Augustus White, J. Augustus White. He said, the Spanish, or he writes, the Spanish influenza has put a stop to all public meetings for the present. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? May it speak louder than all the sermons that might be preached and cause people to understand what a pestilence should teach and that this is mild in comparison to those that will come after the church has been removed. J. Augustus White, 1918. 
This is mild, he says. The Spanish influenza, again, approximately 50 million people that died. Of course, they can't get a, a nailed down and accurate figure. But what was scary about the Spanish influenza, it affected many of the strong, the young and the strong. Whereas if we were to just look at the numbers, just ignore everything else and just look at the numbers here, Center of Disease Control up in Canada, in British Columbia, we have the British Columbia Center of Disease Control. I know in our neck of the woods of the 240 people that have died in our province of 5 million, uh, the median age was 85, um, 85 years old. Now this is not to be dismissive, this is obviously a real thing that's killing people. But I find it interesting that an early, one of these early brethren in 1918 called something that was on a far greater and far worse scale, more severe, higher mortality rate, called it mild in comparison to what? In comparison to what's coming after the church is removed. This, this world is not, hasn't seen anything yet, folks. And um, I, I'm so encouraged this morning that the brother was sharing about be of good cheer because that's literally, that kind of confirmed this morning that I was on the right track with this passage because uh, that's, that's basically hopefully going to be the conclusion. Be of good cheer. The best is yet to come for the believer. I'm just going to start by reading the first three verses here in Acts 27. It says here, And when it was determined that we should set sail into Italy... They delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. And entering into a ship of Adramidium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia. One Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go to his friends and to refresh himself. And we'll pause there for a moment. Uh, again, Paul is under arrest. He is imprisoned. He is in bonds. He's on his way to Rome. He's appealed to Caesar. And here we see he's been delivered to this ship that's going to set sail for Italy. Uh, he's described as one among a number of prisoners under the Romans' uh, uh, oversight. Now, just think of this idea here. Paul is a prisoner. Uh, by definition, as a prisoner, you have your freedoms curbed, okay? Uh, you face uh, restriction in your mobility. Um, you can't go where you want to go and you can't do what you want to do. You are completely at the disposal of another person's whim. But what I find interesting, uh, I mean, I think Paul could really relate to this idea of quarantine, <laughs> Uh, this idea of isolation. He spent a significant part of his life in prison, isolated, quarantined, you could say. And yet what's interesting is in the New Testament, we never see the Apostle Paul describe his situation or introduce himself as a prisoner of Rome. <laughs> Actually, you see him twice, uh, that I can remember at least, or that come to mind, Ephesians 3, 1, Philemon 1, 1, where he introduces himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. In another place, he uh, says, my chains are in Christ. <laughs> in other words, this is not the language of a victim, victimized by circumstances or adverse circumstances outside of his control. This is the language of a victor. This is the one who would write to the Philippians from prison and say to them, the things that have happened to me, and the context there is his imprisonment, have turned out to the furtherance of the gospel. And he goes on to describe further what that meant, what that looked like. All that is to say, Paul was on target, on time, in the dead center of the will of God. He was a prisoner. And this, this thought that, that came to me as I, as I looked at these things, when we think of circumstances that are outside of our control, adverse circumstances, you could, COVID-19, whatever, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, these things only are a tragedy, really, if you think about it, as long as we have our own will or our own agenda or our own selfish ambition that we're trying to fulfill. But if we truly say with Paul, I am crucified with Christ, we're no longer a victim of our circumstances. In whatever place we may find ourselves, in whatever place God's calling upon us finds us, whether we be slave or free, uh, employee or employer, uh, uh, mother at home or full-time worker, in whichever place we may find ourselves, 
as so long as we are yielded to God, as so long as our lives are truly, Romans 12, yield is as sacrifices acceptable to God. God, do ever you want with this. As long as we believe we truly are his possession. Um, really, what the things that happen to us don't have to be our undoing. Um, again, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. What, one, one thing I feel like the Lord is trying to teach me in this time, and I say trying because I'm, I'm a very stubborn student. I don't know if any of you have this problem, but is, is that, is readjusting my idea of normal. How would God define normal? I mean, we have our idea of what normal Christianity would look like, perhaps that's maybe influenced by our North American culture, maybe a little decadent, maybe on the side, errors on the side of convenience and perhaps having, uh, you know, uh, our, our, um, you know, heaven can wait, maybe. Um, when the Lord Jesus said that the, the, the price of admission for discipleship is forsaking all and taking up our cross. Now, what, what, what does he mean by cross? When Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, he didn't actually mean he was physically crucified with Christ. That's, that's not what he means at all. But could I submit to you what Paul is saying there is I have identity, I, I realize practically and functionally through the choices in my life, I have recognized that when Christ died on the cross, I, that is my old man, died with him. And now my life is completely given over to whatever the one who bought me sees fit. Look at it another way. Uh, an exchange of our wills for his will. Remember the Lord Jesus in the garden. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. A life that makes that its anthem, its mantra, could I submit to you, is what the Bible is describing when it talks about the crucified life. A person that is nailed to the cross, that's the picture there with crucifixion, is not fighting for his rights. He's not the master of his fate, nor is he the captain of his soul. He is completely at the whim of another. His will, his ambition, is it's, it's game over. And can I submit to you, this is normal Christianity. And the things that come upon us, the circumstances our world finds itself in, we have to ask ourselves the question, do we really want the will of God? Do we really want what God wants? Perhaps, and I don't say perhaps as if I doubt, I, I know that God has a greater purpose in view through allowing these things to happen. Yes, in the short term, it seems that there's so much that doesn't seem to make sense. And yet we can trust that, yes, he is working all things to the good of them that love him and are called according to his purpose. Do we want what he wants? Look how in verse 3 it says that they gave him liberty. Paul, under the centurion Julius, was given liberty. And can I submit to you, based on some of the things I've already suggested from the book of Philippians, this was just a sign of things to come. The freedom and the liberty that the Apostle Paul would be given in the gospel despite his restrictions, despite being in circumstances, confining circumstances outside of his control. Even here in his imprisonment, he's been given a measure of freedom. Um, later on, if we look at the whole breadth of the New Testament, we'll see uh, how the, the last chapter is yet to be written here. We'll see that... Uh, um, Earlier on, actually, before this even happened, Paul being in prison gave him audience with some of the top brass in Rome. We read in Acts chapter, I believe it's in Acts chapter 25, that he's given audience with King Agrippa, with Bernice, uh, which I believe is King Agrippa's uh, cousin or sister or something. It says the chief captains and the principal men of the city. He, without compromising, without any sort of effort, made humanistic effort on his part, he's given a, 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 this exalted platform to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to people in the highest echelons of Roman government. But it was through his imprisonment, not apart from it, but because of his imprisonment. Later we'll read at the end of Philippians, he's greeting the saints that are in Caesar's household. 
The gospel penetrated the deepest, darkest, again, the highest echelons of Roman government to the household of Caesar, the emperor himself. Um, later we read at the, in the end of the book of Acts, he's given more liberty and he has his own hired house and people are coming to him and he's able for the course of years to, to expound the things concerning the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a, a venue to which he uses to preach the gospel. And later on we, we know what's called the prison epistles, uh, Ephesians, Colossians, uh, Philippians, Philemon. Um, these, these are all examples of letters that have, were written while Paul was in prison. Someone suggested recently, maybe last year I was talking to a brother, and um, it was actually funny, it was actually discussing about this phase of life, and as with young children, there becomes these natural limitations and seemingly curbs on your freedom as far as what you can do ministry-wise and so on. And uh, what this brother said, kind of interesting, kind of this indirect kind of way, uh, commented how none of us have ever heard the Apostle Paul preach. Like, none of us. None of us have some recording somewhere. I mean, this was thousands of years ago. And yet, all of us, I'm sure many of us, most of us, have in some way benefited from the writings of the Apostle Paul that he penned while he was in prison. And so now, a benefit that would have been limited to that period in history, Paul preaching, has now been, now there's a benefit that is uh, extended to the entire church through every age in history after that because of the things that he wrote while in confinement, while in prison. And so again, we see the freedom, the liberty, despite these confining circumstances, for the purposes of God to be furthered and for the gospel to go out. Now... Why do I mention all that? I don't even know how far we're going to get this morning. Why do I mention all that? Um, you know, oh, I don't know how to say this right. Lord, help me. But I believe we are in a tremendous moment in history, brethren. We are at the eve of the Lord's return. Never before in my short Christian life have I been more um, sensitive, I guess, keenly aware that the judge is standing at the door. When the Lord Jesus said, I'm coming quickly, he's, he's, he's there, he's almost here. We're literally going to see him soon. And in the light of this, in the light of this, I do believe a great and effectual door has opened in the world because of coronavirus, because of COVID-19. Um, you know what, I... I uh, there should be some caveat or caption or something. The views expressed by the preacher are not necessarily shared by the folks at Boulevard Bible Chapel. But you, I, I, you guys, I know, understand, are a gracious bunch. I, I honestly am getting quite sick and tired with the emphasis, not the fact that this is happening, but the emphasis, the rhetoric on our physical response to coronavirus. Um, I am all about taking precautions. I try to encourage my children not to lick doorknobs and roll on the floor of hospitals and, and, and do these things. I believe in hand sanitizer. We have hand sanitizer. I wear a mask. If you want me to wear a mask, I'll wear a mask. I don't care. It's fine. Yes, these physical things are important, but just this, this, the church, the church of Jesus Christ. I've been in many, many meetings over these past eight months. And the rhetoric, the the six feet, the mass, the hand sanitizers, physical, physical, tangible, terrestrial, or planet Earth, planet Earth, be safe, be well. Yes, yes, that's 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 fantastic. But what about the spiritual response to all of this? I know that's going to look like differently for everyone, different phases of life, different gifts, different ministries. But can I encourage you this morning? I'm going to read a few snippets here. I trust this will be of an encouragement to you. I feel it necessary. We see a few examples in the book of Acts where the brethren return from, from abroad, whether it be their short-term mission trips throughout the Roman Empire, and they gathered the saints together. They reported what God had done with them, and the result was they glorified God. It was an occasion to give glory to God. And so I, I just want to spend a few brief moments here doing this. this I, I'm happy to say none of these have anything to do with me. I'm just reporting them to you in your hearing. Back in February, this was before coronavirus even made its headlines really on, in a significant way here in the United States or in Canada or whether, you know, this, uh, before the reaction really came, the lockdowns and so on. 
This is from a uh, this is from a missionary organi- missionary organization based here in the United States that support indigenous indigenous missionaries across the world. I esteem these guys. I regard them as a very credible source. They would be very careful about the stuff they post and publish. Um, so I know this isn't just hearsay. This is. Uh, connected to someone that has direct knowledge of what's happened is a, is a first-hand witness. I'm just going to read just the highlights in your hearing then. This news story comes from Wuhan. Again, this goes back to February. Uh, the believers in Wuhan, where apparently all of this started. And here's a pastor who works very closely with underground believers that meet in the underground in China. And he writes... A few months ago, a pastor I know, along with church members, were preaching the gospel on the streets of Wuhan. This is an authoritarian communist regime. Can you imagine? And he says, he kept on street preaching even when Christians were not encouraged to share the gospel. Nothing stopped them from proclaiming the gospel, not even the plague. Now it is the 10th day since the city has been separated by quarantine. Protective masks are the most valuable thing in Wuhan. Money is useless because you can't find a store that sells the masks. People are in a desperate situation. In response, our brothers and sisters preach the gospel and give out tracts and free masks. Goes on to say, um, they are sharing the word of hope and comfort from God. They've been more and more favored in the city, even in the authorities' eyes. Again, this is a communist police state. Believers receiving authority, in, uh, excuse me, um, favor in the eyes of the authority on account of their witness and the message of comfort and hope that they're bringing, despite all these things. The churches in Wuhan keep themselves away from all the rumors and political issues. Very interesting. I wonder if we could learn something from them. They just do what a true Christian should do in this situation, preaching the gospel and being a witness of true peace and true hope that come from Jesus Christ in front of the non-believers who are in panic and hopelessness. A police officer came to one sister, listened to the gospel, and left with the tract and mask happily. After a while, another police officer arrived, heard and left with the tract and a mask also. Shortly, the first one came back and asked... Um, He'd like one too. He'd like some more. Soon four more officers came. They are the ones that used to be concerned about the message. Now they came to Christians for help and they bow down to our God. The yellow, and, and there's a, there was a picture in the article and showed someone in full, looked like hazmat almost, but really it was a rain jacket and he was wearing gloves, a, a mask and, and a visor and shield, you know, for self-protection. He says the yellow, which, which is what the Christians are wearing as they're handing these things out, has become the most beautiful color in the city. Christian, Christians have gained the respect that they never had before because of their willingness to risk their health to serve. Their willingness to risk their health to serve. He goes on, and this an update came at the end of March. Starting from the day that the city was locked down, the church in Wuhan began praying for 24 hours nonstop. Brothers and sisters have been taking turns praying to our God every day. It's been 57 days. Christians around the world are praying with us too. Hundreds of people in the church proclaimed, hundreds of people in the church proclaimed the gospel on the streets during the city's closure and also helped the desperate people. At most, there are more than 400 people a day preaching the gospel on the streets. I, I, again, I was... It's really hard to listen to this stuff. And really, the first thing that comes to my skeptical mind is really that many. But again, I have high credit. Like, I believe this is a very credible source. He says, so far, all have been safe except for one sister who was infected. During this period, several people got symptoms such as fever, dry cough, and so on. The brothers and sisters prayed. The symptoms disappeared. God has had mercy on his children. And it goes on to list the many things they gave away, 300,000 masks, over 6,000 goggles, over 2,000 sets of protective clothing, and so on. There's a long list here of different things like face masks, disposable gloves, and so on. But all that is to say, again, these believers, they looked at this as a great and effectual door that was opening, and so they ran through. Um, I'm now going to I'm going to give a different example from a different part of the world. Many of you are familiar with Micah Tuttle. I know he's been here before and visiting. Many of us appreciate our brother who's a missionary in Peru. Some of you might have read his update from this last week on his blog. And he says he writes this, "Our 30 villages along the Wajaga River in the San Martin La 
oh boy, this is going to be my Spanish. Um, Loreto Departamentos of Peru. Oh, sorry. I have been, sorry, Micah, have been greatly affected by coronavirus. So there's been a lot of, uh, coronavirus has made its rounds along these, uh, these, uh, villages along the tributary of the Amazon, the, the Mojaga River. He says there's been many deaths. Even some of the assembly leaders and elders that have graduated on to glory through this pandemic. But the Lord seems to be using it to bring many more souls to himself. Apparently there's been a widespread repentance and a turning to Jesus as Savior and Lord. They say that the churches are growing in number and in maturity. (laughs) The Lord is working. Paul was bound, but the word was not bound. Back uh, in our home assembly, 16th Avenue Gospel Chapel, we work very closely with uh, Mandarin-speaking believers, many of them that have strong, close ties to China, many of them that just come as international students and go back. And I can testify of the exact same thing. The uh, apple cart has been upset. People have uh, uh, regarded uh, the government as something not to be trusted and are looking for other sources of comfort and solace. I could give you story upon story of conversions, baptisms none of this exaggeration the lord is using this for his good and for his glory um go go another part of the world edmonton where i was born and raised i lived there for 25 years Uh, some of you might remember several years ago me being here at boulevard sharing about uh, an open air street working on on the streets of edmonton and i'll tell you those days there was a lot of going out weeping bearing precious seed and not seeing much as far as sheaves not seeing much as far as fruit i know yami was out there on the street when she came and visited us um very hard soil very hard ground and in these last months when i say months i literally mean in the last two months um it seems it seems we're starting to see the coming back rejoicing bearing their sheaves with them um, my brother Dale, some of you have met brother Dale Maleko is out four times a week in the open air. Uh, he just sent me an audio message a couple of weeks ago and basically saying, we are in the revival that you guys have been praying for. He went on to describe three separate individuals who previously were antagonistically opposed to the open air work, made sure they let Dale know how much they thought he was an idiot and how now they have not been only been saved by the grace of God, they have publicly identified with the Lord Jesus in baptism and have now come out, though in some cases with much fear and trembling, to, uh, to identify with Dale and support him in his work in the gospel. Three specific individuals in the last months, and there was others as well that came to the Lord, baptized, whatever. Um, all this is to say... Oh, I got to share this one too. Last week, I had the privilege of sitting down with a 39-year-old brother from North Dakota. Some of you may have heard or through the grapevine of this brother, Josh Kleiman, but they are experiencing something of a revival among the assemblies in North Dakota. The four that we know of there have all had people saved in the last few months. Go and phone the elders. This is this is actually happening. And this, this brother was sharing me story upon story upon story of people coming to the Lord, believers being revived. What What's the point of all of this? The Lord is coming soon and he is working. He is at work. He's using these circumstances for the good of his church and for ultimately his glory. Ah, there's so much more that could be said, but we can rejoice in our great God. Obviously, he gets all the credit. But let's skip down here, folks. And and this is, again, Paul's sea voyage to Rome. They came up on some trouble. It didn't go very smoothly. I'm skipping a bunch of verses here, but he go to verse 10. Paul is here again, he's a prisoner, and he's talking to the folks on the boat, and he's saying this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the late, the cargo or the lading and ship, but also of our lives. So he gives a very grim, gloomy, uh, I guess prophecy of some sort of how things are going to go on the ship very soon. But look at verse, look at verse 11 here. The, the centurions don't listen to him. The Romans don't listen to him. It says, nevertheless, the centurion, that's Julius, believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And so we can kind of put ourselves in the shoes of these Roman soldiers and the sailors. And and we can kind of understand this from a human level. Why would I listen to this tent-making Jewish 
ex-Jewish preacher from Tarsus, when there's these experienced sailors whose lives and livelihood is tied up in sailing through these waters, why would we listen to the counsel of this non-sailor when we have the experts right here? Uh, and, and so there would be, naturally, I think we can all appreciate there'd be this confidence in, in the experts. Now, <laughs> just, a, just a thought here, folks. One of the things that in the midst of all that's happening right now, and I don't know if some of you have felt this way, but I, I feel that there's this, at least to me, this uncomfortable, unquestioned uh, confidence in the experts, as if they are the saviors and they are the answer to our problems. Now, let me tell you what I'm not saying, and I want to say put like 50 caveats here. Uh, we appreciate experts. I hope all of us appreciate people that went to med school and know how to, you know, if things go wrong, they know how to fix us. So don't don't misunderstand me. We appreciate our frontline healthcare workers. We appreciate the sacrificial efforts they've made in the midst of this pandemic. Nobody up here is diminishing that in the least. Um, if I want to build a bridge, I'm going to go to an engineer. If I want to get something medically fixed, I'm going to go to a doctor. We appreciate experts, okay? So that's hopefully that's clear. But think about what the experts, some of the experts are saying in our world today. Some of the statements that are being uh, uh, um, propagated throughout our culture from the highest institutions, from people that, that are apparently the, the experts. Things like uh, the thought or the idea that all of us were just advanced forms of primates. <laughs> we're just an orderly assortment of atoms sitting on the latter end of billions of years of undirected processes. We're basically just chimpanzees dancing to our DNA. Our great-great-grandfather was an amoeba and so on. I mean, it's, it's this idea where we're just animals, really, lowering the dignity that God places on creation. You, have, you and I have been made in the image of God, skillfully and wonderfully knit in our mother's womb, crowned with glory and honor, set over the works of God's hands. And yet the experts have taken that lofty place that God has placed on humanity and have lowered it to just a compilation of atoms dancing to our DNA, driven by our animal instincts. These are what the experts are saying. The same experts who are facilitating, well, in the state of Florida in 2019, over 71,000 abortions. Um, 15,000 that so far have died as a result of COVID-19. Four times as many last year were killed by abortion. These are the experts that are facilitating this. The same experts that are saying they're anywhere from 58 to 63 genders. The same experts, I mean, I can go on and on and on. Can I submit to you that the experts don't have all the answers? I probably should say, uh, I, I understand we should render to Caesar. And please, I, I, I'm just so scared of being misunderstood. Whatever, maybe I shouldn't be so scared. But the Lord Jesus did say render to Caesar. And we do want to be in subjection to the powers that be. And there's no powers that be except that which was put there by God. And we all want to put, place honor and respect where honor and respect is due. Peter, who would end up being uh, uh, crucified upside down under Nero's watch, is the one who wrote and said, fear God and honor the king. <laughs> so we hopefully, we, we th- th- this is very... Very balanced here. But all that is to say, as much as we appreciate the idea of rendering to Caesar when the health authority says do this, okay, I won't gather unessentially, I, uh, I, I will wear a mask, I will do this, and it's just like, yes sir, yes sir, yes ma'am, yes ma'am. Uh, what about rendering to God that which is God's? I feel like we need to be a little bit more balanced, brethren. Who is a higher authority than the healthcare authority? These are, these are some of the things that, that just have come to my mind. But we, we've got to land the plane here, folks. So let's skip down to verse 18. Again, they've come up on some trouble uh, as they're traveling to Rome in this ship. Verse 18 says that they were exceedingly tossed with a tempest. Uh, so they started lightening the ship. They're throwing tackle overboard to lighten the ship to make it more maneuverable, presumably because of the wind. The third day, verse 19, that's what they did. Verse 20, it said, Neither sun nor stars many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us. So the wind's howling. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But look at verse 21. Enter Paul, 
He hadn't eaten for a while. He stands forth in the midst of them. And you can just imagine the scene in your mind. The All human options have been exhausted. Plan A, plan B, plan C. Everything has been tried. Nothing's working. Everyone finally just despairs of life. There's, there's no hope and they're just waiting to die. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, steps onto the scene after having not eaten. And it says here, I, well, he basically says, I told you so. I mean, you guys shouldn't have left Crete. But verse 22, now I exhort you to be of good cheer. <laughs> A voice of divine reason in the midst of all that's happening that's saying it's game over. Hopeless, aimless gloom. Verse 23 or so he says, be of good cheer. There shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night, the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. And this is what the angel said. Fear not, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. In other words, you will make it to your destination. And God has given you all them that sail with you. Last verse, verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Now again, every crutch, every security banklet, ba- uh, blanket has been removed. And now Paul steps on the scene with a word from God. Now, brethren, can I submit to you, we're not quite here yet. And I'm talking about our world. I don't think, oh, let's just talk about North America. I don't know if we're at a place yet because of the fiscal policies that have been introduced. You know, I don't know what they're doing here, but in Canada, we're kind of shoveling money out of the back of the truck. Don't misinterpret that as criticism. And, and we're, and we're just dampening the economic blow of what's happening. And, and, and there's a sense in which we're deferring the inevitable. I mean, who's paying for all this? I mean, you can't just keep just printing money, right? I mean, I mean, maybe we can. I don't know. And so we just keep, keep trying to dull the effect. And it's almost like people are like, oh, yeah, okay, the government's here for us. And you, you've heard the messages. We're here for you. We're going to get through this together. And we're placing confidence in the state and in those that are feeding us and, and, and uh, providing the relief. And, and that's where we're looking. And I don't think we're quite to the place where we've realized, oh, now even they can't help us. Where we've reached this point of desperation. And I wonder, brethren, if the Lord allows us to feel a healthy sense of vulnerability that we might know that it is God that rules in the kingdom of men. You know that scripture, be still and know that I am God? That has rung to a completely different tune to me recently than ever before. Be still and know that I am God. <laughs> See, when everything is working out the way we want it to work out, when we are the master of our fate and the captain of our souls and we're able to manage our lives in such a way where everything is predictable, every risk is hedged against, we're completely, everything is just fine and dandy. Well, you don't really need God in that sort of scenario. And really, God becomes almost this genie where you get him to rubber stamp and bless our plans. Here, Lord. Yeah, just, just you know, right here, Lord. Yep, yep, just, just stamp it right here. And we don't realize that we, apart from him, we're nothing. We have nothing. We can't breathe without him. We exist for him. I wonder, brethren, if the volume has been turned up uh, loud enough yet. And I don't say that just in a flippant way. Um, it is, it is, I guess, looking in history, seeing in what circumstances, under what circumstances, great awakenings and revivals have taken place and great ingathering of people into the kingdom. It's actually scary to think some of the things that were going on in the broader geopolitical world. Things like uh, 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 famine, things like nakedness, peril and sword and affliction and tribulation and persecution, things that we don't like, things that our brother was saying this morning may very well be just around the corner. I wonder, brethren, with all the attempts that have been made to dampen the effects of what's happening, has the volume been turned up enough so that men would give up of all hope and just look to God and say, who do I have in heaven but you? I lift my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I want us to leave with this thought of, um, I, I believe God that it will be as he has told me. Um, we have a sure word from God. Uh, we, we can, I don't think maybe necessarily we are, but we can be Paul here in a sense. 
We don't need an angel to stand by us. We have a full revelation or at least a complete revelation of what we need to know as far as God's heart and mind is concerned. We have advanced information. We know in some way and in general sense how things are going to play out. I think when Paul said, be anxious for nothing, that still applied during, in the midst of coronavirus and political and geopolitical uncertainty. When the Lord, when we talk, we read about the blessed and glorious hope, that's literally not tied to any earthly income, uh, outcome that we see. Whether it be circumstances, the result of an election. It is God who sets up kings and casts down kings, who has the heart of the rulers in his hands to turn whichever way he sees fit. It is, it, there is nothing that is going to catch him by surprise or ultimately thwart his purposes in the world. Everyone will do their will and in the end God's will will be done. True sovereignty of God. If our treasures are laid up in heaven, nothing, no outcome on this earth is going to touch that. Um, what an opportunity for us brethren to stand out as long as we process the things that are happening around us through the lens of thus saith the Lord. If a guy sat down and spent all his time watching the, the communist news network or up in Canada we have uh, CBC, the Communist Broadcasting Corporation. If all a guy sat down and watched what was these news and, and processed the events around them through the lens of what the news was telling you, you would get a very incomplete picture of what's actually happening in the world. There is an information war that is happening right now that is on an unprecedented scale. We are being lied to every single day, or at the very least, not being told the whole story. What a time more than ever before to go to something that is reliable, that is secure, something that is steadfast, that has stood the test of time, that has not failed to stand by the graveside of all of its opponents throughout the century. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. God said, my promises are yea and amen. It's impossible for God to lie. And so Paul could stand there and say, it's, I believe it's going to happen just like he said. That's the truth for every single promise that is ours in Christ Jesus and coronavirus or anything else that's coming as a result isn't going to change that for us. We have the blessed hope of the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, brethren, I, I can't let, oh, I can't let this go. I, uh, here at the end, at the end of this passage, just, just as we close, I know I've already said that a couple of times, but the, the sailors tried to escape. Verse 30, the sailors tried to escape. They're about to flee out of the ship. This is after Paul said, listen, you're, you're, we're, we're going to be fine. And so Paul says, and again, in light of the sailors trying to escape, lowering a skiff into the, the sea so that they could escape. Um, think about this. You guys seen those t-shirts that say, I'm a bomb technician. If you see me running, try and keep up. <laughs> So here, here, here the experts are bailing out, right? Uh, and, and so can you imagine seeing sailors? Like when a sailor is trying to get off of a ship, it's like, whoa, okay, the sailors are leaving. This is bad. Um, but here, Paul is saying, unless you stay in the ship, you can't be saved. Paul says this to the centurion. Look at verse 32. The soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. What's the point? The same centurion, the same soldiers that wouldn't give Paul the time of day when he said when they were leaving port that this is going to end in much loss or destruction of the ship is now the same soldiers that are not listening to the experts and are now listening to the man of God. Authority has been restored to the man of God. And brethren, when I read the Old Testament, I read about men of God, Elijah, who's, who caused Ahab, King Ahab to tremble. When I, when I think of John the Baptist, who caused, caused Herod to tremble as he reproved him concerning his, uh, his brother's wife. When I think of uh, a different King Herod in Acts chapter 12 that stretched out his hand to vex certain of the church and caused James to die by the edge of the sword. What I see there is that the Roman establishment viewed the church as a credible threat to their existence. That they had to respond. They had to clamp down very strictly. 
the church actually posed as threat. They had authority. They had grit. They had clout. Uh, we even read in Acts chapter 5, people wouldn't just join themselves to them willy-nilly because they knew there, there was something about this. For 1 Corinthians 14, you'd come into an assembly. People would hear the secrets of their heart revealed. They'd fall on their faces and say, surely God is in this place. There was a reality. There was an authenticity. There was a credibility to the people of God. And now it seems, it seems we're no more known as some sort of partisan political body, as some sort of social institution that always seems to be hard up on funds because we keep asking people for more money. What a shame. This is not about us or you. or This is about the glory of God. Whatever happened to the assemblies of the Lord's people being a lightning rod for the glory of God, where Christ would be clearly seen in our midst, where the word of God would go out with power and great signs and wonders would confirm that word. Brethren, I do believe it's happening. I do believe here a little, there a little, we're seeing the Lord working. What is it going to take to bring us back to that? In this case, in order for that authority to be restored, it had to happen through the door. It happened to happen through the door of uh, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. As I was um, visiting Brother brother uh, Jabe Nicholson last summer, um, just as he was leaving, I asked him lots of questions. They call me Curious George. But one, one of the questions I asked them was, Brother, do you believe the Lord has an ace up his sleeve? Um, and what I mean by that is, do you believe before the Lord returns? Because biblically, all we have to wait for is the sun from heaven. Biblically, we're, we're waiting for him. We're not waiting for revival or something happening. We're waiting for him. He's who our eye is supposed to be upon. But knowing the character of God and knowing how he's acted in history and knowing that he's a great God and doesn't seem like he's being esteemed as a great God in some ways these days, do you think... Do you think the Lord would maybe have an ace up his sleeve in the last ingathering here in North America before the trumpet blows? An unprecedented outpouring of his Holy Spirit in gathering people to himself. And he thought about it for a moment. And he said, I do believe it's possible. But um, um, I don't, he said, I do believe that it's possible. But I don't believe right now the conditions are ripe. But they could be on short order through something like a national catastrophe. Something that would bring the nation to its knees. <laughs> that was a year ago, brethren. 2020 is a different year. And I wonder, I cannot help but wonder what the Lord is willing to allow in order that we might seek Him and Him alone. That there would be no competing loyalties in our lives that we would have that power, that presence that we once knew in our midst. And so, Lord, we, with just these scattered thoughts, we want to praise you for who you are, your commitment to your people, your absolute perfect faithfulness. You will never do us wrong. You will never do anything evil to us. There is no circumstance that will take place in our lives that will not be for our ultimate good. Glory be to you, praise be to you, exalt your son, make much of him, and I do pray you would take whatever is of pure, good, and true value from your word this morning, and take everything else that was dross and take it away, encourage your people, bless your people, provoke us, Lord, stir us to love and good works, and may we be a people that are genuinely waiting for the Son from heaven. We ask this in his name, amen.